This is Michael Cowan, and welcome to Trial Lawyer Nation. You've got to have the right case because if you take it up and it's the wrong case, then you can make some really bad law that's going to affect a lot of plaintiffs. There's always an answer. The joy is in finding. One of the reasons that I love being a lawyer is this exact process. The way we live our life has nothing to do with the presentation sequence at trial. As trial lawyers, we pick up and move on and keep going. You're losing or gaining one out of every 10 jurors, which can really make a huge difference in the ultimate result of the case. Whatever you think about, you create. Learn all you can and never stop. And then have the guts to try case after case after case. Welcome to the award-winning podcast, Trial Lawyer Nation, your source to win bigger verdicts, get more cases, and manage your law firm. And now, here's your host, noteworthy author, sought-after speaker, and renowned trial lawyer, Michael Cowan. Today on Trial Lawyer Nation, I'm again joined by my partner, Mallory Peacock. How are you doing today, Mallory? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Hanging in there. Um, we, you know, we were supposed to be in trial this week, so I'm a little disappointed that it settled, but, you know, it's what's best for the client and that's what they wanted to do. So we've got to do what the client wants. Yeah, it's a weird feeling. You know, we're disappointed when it settles because we can go to trial, but then we're not we're not upset when the check comes in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I actually, you know, it's kind of nice. I get to get caught up on some other things. I know that vacation I'm going to be taking in June with the, some of the money is going to be pretty sweet. <laughs> well, today, uh, we, we've talked a little bit before the show, we're going to talk about working through others. And what I mean by that is we're going to talk about, you know, how do you get a high performing team, uh, whether it's a bigger firm that has associates, or just a paralegal, a legal assistant, a law clerk, but, you know, at most firms, it's not just the lawyer, we work with other people. And it's a uh, you know, getting them to do things right where they actually help you be more productive instead of being a hindrance is uh, an art. It's an art that you're much better at than I am. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's I think it's something that uh, needs to be practiced. I, I don't think it's something that comes naturally to really most people. Um, and I think it's also something that nobody ever taught us in law school how to do, how to manage a law firm, how to manage a team, how to uh, work with other people other than your own legal mind. Um, and so it's a challenge, I think, for a lot of people. And uh, one of the things I want to talk about is, you know, just delegating. Uh, you're, you are really, you're probably the best person at the firm as far as effectively delegating, which is not only delegating work to other people, but getting them to perform and, and do the work at our standards of quality. Uh, how do you do it? So whenever I think about delegating a task, I think about a couple of things. I think about, one, am I delegating something that I can reasonably expect someone else to do, um, you know, in a way that I would approve of, right? So if it's going to be some really, really complex briefing that I've never talked to anybody else about, I obviously can't delegate that kind of task because it, I've not talked to anybody else about it. And so it's not fair to put that on to somebody else and set them up for failure. So I want to make sure that any task that I delegate is something that the person can succeed at. Um, but then two, I try to give really clear instructions um, and clear deadlines. So you can't, I, I tell myself, you can't just say, schedule these depositions. You need to say, here's where you're find, you'll find the deposition topics. Here's the information that you need about 
serving someone or getting an attorney involved or a par- another paralegal for scheduling. So you want to make sure that everybody has all the tools that they need to get the job done. And then the, the last piece of it is to make sure that you're open to answering any kind of question that someone might have about the task um, and being gracious with your response. So um, answering um, someone's question, even if you think that the question has an obvious answer or an answer that is obvious to you, it's obviously not obvious to the person, right? So you need to be open to answering the questions in a nice, meaningful way um, that encourages communication as opposed to snapping at people or responding in a way that makes them feel belittled or um, stupid. (laughs) So I think those are really the three components of delegating something effectively um, in my mind. Now, one of my pitfalls personally in delegation is that I will delegate something to someone. I will think I've explained it well enough. And what I get back is just not something that I could send out with my name on it. Uh, Either they just didn't get it or it was sloppy. Uh, and, you know, a lot of times it's just faster to fix it yourself and just get it out right than it is to go back and sit down with someone and go over, you know, this is this is the changes. This is why this isn't the way we want to do it. What are your thoughts on that? And, I, and I've, I've unfortunately, I'm going to confess, I have many times asked someone to do something, got back crap and just fixed it myself and sent it out and, and didn't take the time or energy to go tell the person they didn't do it right. So there's. There's two parts to that. There's something that only you can fix because only you know what you want and it's never really going to come up again. And it's not really something that's worth taking the time to teach someone else how to do it. Um, And so in that case, you are better off just fixing it yourself and moving forward. Most of the things uh, though, that we delegate to other people are things that are going to come up a lot or things that are going to have to do again. And so if you just fix it yourself, you're not helping people succeed. Um, you're teaching them to send you subpar level work um, and that you're just going to fix it and you're just always going to clean it up and you're, and you know, they can rely on you to be the final say so of what goes out, but really empowering your team to, uh, to complete projects and to complete them with pride starts with, they send you back something that's not to your standards. You tell them nicely that, Hey, you know, I needed you to do X, Y, and Z, and that's not included in this. Or I really wanted you to do X, um, you know, please get that done, you know, in the next day or, you know, however long the time period is that you have to get something done. Um, And if it's something that is urgent, so like, let's say it needs to go out within the next hour and you don't have time to send it back to them to fix the mistakes you do fix the mistakes yourself and get it sent out because we can't be missing deadlines. I mean, we can't be committing right. practice, but you take the time to go back and say, here's the things that I changed on what you did. Just FYI, please look over them so that you know for next time. So I think there's a few components to it, but I, I will say there are situations where I fix things. I don't go tell people what I fixed, but really because it's not something that I'm really going to ask them to ever do again. Um, So taking the time to do that is, you know, not always the best use of my time, but in most cases, it's a really good use of your time because if you can teach people how to do something, do it confidently and do it accurately, you can really uh, delegate a lot of your own work to other people so that you can, I, I mean, one of my goals, and I know one of your goals, Michael, is to free ourselves to do some of more of the creative thinking 
um, and more of the uh, high level legal work. Um, and you can't do that if you're answering discovery. I mean, you, you don't have time to do the higher level thinking if you're doing those kind of tasks. And I've really seen the fruits of the time you put in. And, and we we're talking yesterday, you know, people say at the firm, sometimes people are jealous of you because like, oh, you have like such great legal systems. Not that all of ours aren't great, but you have like some exceptionally great legal systems. And one, she was our receptionist, wasn't she? Before she went to work as your second assistant and you and Cindy, the uh, your other paralegal kind of trained her up from scratch. I mean, knowing nothing. Uh, but I think the secret is that you know, instead of just expecting them to be perfect, uh, you spent the time from the get-go to, to show her, I'm sure she didn't do everything perfect the first time. Right, right. Um, well, and to expect someone to do everything perfect the first time, I think is totally unrealistic. And that's the way that you create, I think, distrust in your team. When you set expectations that people can't meet and you set them up for failure, and then you're upset or you're mad at people for not getting it or not doing it right the first time, and that's not fair. So your teammates always need to feel like you have their back and that anything that you're telling them is in their best interest and it's in the team's best interest. It's not just picking on them and it's not setting them up for failure. I mean, that's, that's important. Um, I will say both of my um, paralegals started as receptionists at our law firm. Um, Absolutely. They did not start as paralegals and we worked with them for years and years to move them up. um, And uh, now they're fantastic paralegals. Um, nobody try to steal them, please. <laughs> uh, this is not an invitation for people to try to steal my paralegals. Um, but, uh, but you know, it's, um, it takes patience to learn a brand new job, like a paralegal job when you start off as a receptionist, because they're totally different jobs at the law firm. Another thing that you know, we found is that it takes patience to learn to be a paralegal at our particular firm, as opposed to another firm because we do things our way and they're different than the way other firms do things. And I'm sure other firms do things different than the way we do things, you know, what's been your experience on the pros and cons of hiring (laughs) someone experienced versus somebody that has not done the job before. So I, you know, there's pros and cons for both and it really depends on what you need in your firm at that moment. (laughs) Um, And so, uh, you know, the pros of hiring someone with a lot of paralegal experience at other firms is they know a lot of basic legal stuff, right? They know about some basic deadlines. They know how to communicate with court clerks and how scheduling works for hearings. I mean, some of those basic things that you would have to teach someone who was, for an example, a receptionist. I mean, that they don't have any legal background, so they're not going to know that coming into it. So there's a lot more upfront, basic, basic teaching and training when you don't hire someone with paralegal background. But on the flip side, um, if you have a very specialized firm like we do um, with lots of procedures and we like things the way that we like them, um, and it helps us um, it helps us in a lot of ways to do the thing the way that we want to do them. Um, when you have someone that's worked at other law firms, people get bad habits um, that you have to break. And you know, they've seen it work for other law firms, so they think it's going to work for you, right? Um, And I think every attorney has very specific ways that they like things done. I, you know, I've noticed that as we've had other attorneys that work for us, um, that, you know, they just have different things that they want done. And not every paralegal knows how to do every single thing that every attorney could possibly want. I mean, and, you know, and so it's, you're going to have to train someone no matter what. 
I guess is what I'm saying. And there's going to be a learning curve, whether they come with a lot of experience or whether they come with no experience uh, in the legal field. Now, there's definitely some barriers to entry, right, that you have to meet before you can, can do the job. But I don't think that legal experience, in my experience, is something that is absolutely required to be a good parent. Yeah, I, I personally, and you've heard me argue this before, I personally think it's a negative, at least at our firm. Uh, now, lawyers fight me on this, and I, I always, you know, while I'll veto paralegals, I always let a lawyer, if it's someone who's acceptable to me, I let them choose whether to hire a paralegal or not, because the lawyer has to be able to work with a paralegal, and most of our lawyers insist on someone experienced. And, and you know, if any of our experienced paralegals are listening, I love y'all, y'all do a good job, I'm not upset. But I found, and I wouldn't even call them bad habits. They just, they learn the way other law firms do things. Mm-hmm. And it's not the way we do things. And then it becomes a battle because you want them to do something. And I'll give you an example. You know, at least once a month, you know, our lawyer and paralegal have to document that they've done a file review, which addresses, you know, I think eight, 10 different things that they have to go over and document, you know, has suit been filed, uh, you know, are the key depositions set, have they been taken? You know, what's the status of the client's medical treatment? You know, do, you know, what are the things we can do in the next month to move the case closer to trial or resolution? Some other things like that. And it has to be documented. And, you know, once a month, they have to have a, someone has to call the client. And we call the clients more than once a month to talk in general, but to go over very specific things like, how are you doing? Here's what's going on in your case. Are you treating with a doctor? What are they telling you? If you're not treating a doctor, do you need to get it back in? Do you need any advice or help on that? And it needs to be documented. And there's very specific reasons we want to do it that way. But people that have come from a firm, they've done something 15, 20 years without doing that, they don't tell us. But in the back of the mind, they think it's stupid and a waste of time. And it's a struggle to get them to do it. And the reason we do it is because we've not done it before and we've seen what happens. What happens is a a case falls between the cracks, deadlines sneak up, clients get upset, then they start calling saying no one's telling them what's going on. Or they think that, you know, that if they needed to go to the doctor, we would have told them and they're in pain and they go three or four months without seeing the doctor because, you know, they they just thought someone else was going to handle it for them. They didn't realize that they needed to handle that for themselves. Uh, whether that should be the case or not, I mean, if there's not clear communication, clients think the wrong thing. So, you know, I've found that it can be more difficult to bring someone experienced in doing it our way because you have to get them to unlearn it. And they almost have to like not do it our way, have something go wrong and say, oh my gosh, I guess if I'd done it your way, this wouldn't have gone wrong. You know, something and they're usually things that, you know, you have a client that gets upset, you calm them down. You have to stress because you have a deadline sneaking up on you and now you have to hire an expert, you know, without with like three weeks to go or a month to go instead of thinking about it, you know, three, six months in advance. Uh, you have a, a deadline coming up and sneaking up and you gotta work all night. Uh, those kind of things that we're trying really hard to avoid in our practice. Uh, but so, you know, in my mind, I'd rather get someone that's smart and has the right attitude and is a good cultural fit for our firm. I mean, wants to be excellent, wants to help people, cares about other people, is nice and, and pleasant to be around. And then we can teach them, hey, discovery responses are due in 30 days. If it's a state, Texas state court motion for summary judgment, our responses due, you know, seven days before the hearing. Uh, there's not that many things and they're in writing and they have a list of them. And we have computer systems where they just put discovery request received on this day, it tells them when it's due and gives them reminders. So to me, you know, I would rather get someone that's really bright, but inexperienced and who will learn it our way. That's just me. And and other people vehemently at our firm disagree with that. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think um, whenever you're hiring for any position in the firm, 
you have to think about what is their role. And, you know, the a paralegal position or a legal assistant or a medical records coordinator, their role at the firm is really to assist the attorney. And if they're not assisting the attorney and they're making things harder for the attorney, well, then that's not the job that we hired them to do. Right. And so even I can give an even simpler example than the client contact example. Um, when we get uh, discovery responses or like disclosures that another referring attorney has already done, we often redo it in our own format, not because what the referring attorney did was wrong or incorrect or anything, but because I'm used to our format. And when I want to find information, I know how to read our documents instead of when I need to find information in someone else's documents, I have to search through things. It it throws me off my game. And when I'm trying to do something very specific, I I want it in my format and in the way that I know how to read it, Um, even though there's nothing wrong with the other format, right? But it makes my job easier to have it in my own format. Absolutely. Now, it's not always, you know, when things don't work out, it's not always the assistance fault. You know, one one issue I've noticed with lawyers is that lawyers want you to give them a perfect assistant that knows everything and gets everything right with very little direction and training. And if the assistant isn't perfect, they want someone else at the firm to fix them. I don't know if you've, if you've heard any of that. Yeah. I mean, I think, I, you know, I think I don't necessarily fault lawyers for that. I think there's Sometimes it's hard to see the value in spending the time working with your assistant and building your team to make it the way that you want and the way that you like it, just because you're so pulled, you're pulled in so many other directions with the legal work. So it is hard to set aside time to do that, but it's critical time, I would say, um, in managing your team and supporting your team. But, but I can also understand how sometimes in the practice of law, it just feels like you're pulled in a million different directions. How do you know how to prioritize? And I would say that making a successful team should be your number one priority. Um, so that because it takes a lot of that weight and a lot of that stress on you. But when you're in the whirlwind and you're responding to things, it, sometimes it's just hard to to make the time for it. And so, you know, I get it. <laughs> it is, and I've I've failed on that before. But I will say that when you do take the time, and then someone does learn to do it right and do it your way, then you know, one, it reduces your stress level a lot. And, but two, it really frees you up where you're not doing mundane, repetitive tasks all the time. You know, you're not formatting things. You're not doing the first draft of a discovery response possible. You might give someone guidance on like, okay, they asked us this, put in these objections and then answer to this scope because we're going to, you know, it's overly broad. We're going to object to the rest, but you know, you're making the legal decisions, but you have someone else that you can tell that to, and then they can go ahead and and type a nice first draft that you're not going to need to go make a million changes to. Uh, it makes your life a lot easier. And so, you know, I think in the long run, just to be able to do the kind of high level stuff we talk about on this podcast, really, you know, root cause analysis, strategizing, you know, creating awesome exhibits, uh, really getting ready and rehearsing for trial. You have to really train the rest of your team to be able to do that other stuff that still needs to get done for you and make sure the right things get filed, things are formatted correctly and look pretty, contact your client and, and can get them to give you before and after witnesses, stuff like that. Yeah, I think, you know, um, the the less calls I have to make to a client begging them for photograph before and after photographs, because my team gets it, right? They can call the client and tell them what they need, what I need. And then that way, I already have the photographs in the file. When I'm ready to do it, it's to make pretty exhibits with photographs and all that, they're already there. They're ready for me to go through. 
And, um, you know, it's nice to have that. Then I don't, I don't have that extra time of the back and forth, you know, someone else handling that for me. And for people to understand what we mean by before and after photographs, I mean, in a personal injury case, even if it's not a catastrophic injury, we want to find pictures of people doing what they love, people with their family from before, and then pictures of them afterwards so that we can create visual exhibits saying before they love to do this. And if we have, can show a video of them doing that and looking happier, so some photos of them doing that are being somewhere with the family. And then even, even if we don't have a good photo afterwards, just telling the story about now they can't do this or when they do it, it's not the same. Or when they do that, they can't do it as long and then they have to go lay down because they're in a horrible pain from pushing themselves through it. Uh, it really creates a much more compelling story. Uh, but it's nice when we can train our assistants to go get that stuff for us without us having to sit down and explain to the client because they, they are absolutely confused as to, you know, well, why do you want my vacation photos? <laughs> Each year, the law firm of Cowan Rodriguez Peacock pays millions of dollars in co-counsel fees to attorneys nationwide on trucking and commercial vehicle cases. If you have an injury case involving death or catastrophic injuries and would like to partner with our firm, please contact us. You can reach Delisi Friday by calling 210-941-1301 or send an email to delisi at cowanlaw.com. That's D-E-L-I-S-I at cowanlaw.com. She will coordinate a time for Michael Cowan to speak with you in person or by phone to discuss the case in detail and see where we can add value in a partnership. And now, back to the show. We really have to become you know, leaders on our teams, even if we're not don't, don't own the firm. If we have anyone working with us that we're, you know, that we're in charge of, uh, even if they're not, we're not their formal supervisors, if they're working with us, we need to lead them. Uh, what are some things you've seen that lawyers can do to be leaders? Yeah, I, you know, I think it's such a, it's such an odd, I, we were having this conversation um, a few days ago, which is what does the term leader really mean? I mean, we say it a lot. We want to be leaders, all of us do, but when you try to boil it down to what I guess the essence of being a leader is, it's really hard to describe. Like what there, there's not a to-do list, right? Or a checklist for how to be a leader. Um, and being a leader of one person is not the same tactic or the same way you could be a leader of another person, right? It's very personality dependent, but there's I think a few things uh, about being a leader that are important. So I guess it's not. I don't know if this is going to answer your question, but um, to be a leader, I think you have to set clear expectations for people. They need to know and want to know what you want from them. Um, they, you know, nobody on your team ever wants to let you down. Um, generally, I mean, that's you know, people like to be good at their jobs, and people like to succeed and be part of a successful team. And the way that people know if they're doing a good job is if you tell them. And the way that they know how to do a good job is that you tell them when they're not doing exactly what you want. Um, the other thing is being positive. I mean, I, um, I'm big about being positive. I, even when there's something that's not exactly right or something that's not going exactly our way, I try to talk about it in a positive way. So it's not like, how could you do this? What is wrong with you? You know, when something weird happens or something goes wrong, you know, whenever you're talking about it with someone, nobody's exploding, nobody's you know, uh, being dramatic, it's a very matter of fact conversation and it's factual, right? It's, this is what happened. This is what was wrong with it. You know, this is how we're going to prevent it in the future. I also find that talking to your team about how they think they should prevent it in the future gives people more agency. If people have agency on a team, 
they're more likely to be committed to the end result and to the team itself. Um, I think that my team, we're all very close to each other, um, which means that we can talk really honestly to each other about, you know, when something's going wrong, people can tell me on my team without any fear that, hey, Mallory, I did, you know, you didn't give me instructions. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> can you can you help me here? Or tell me, hey, I totally screwed this up. Like I missed this deadline. It was my mistake. It was my bad. And immediately my response is, how could you do this to me? I mean, that's not what the response. The response is, okay, here's how we're going to fix it. And then once we fixed it, we talk about how do we prevent this from happening in the future? And it's not in a negative way. It's in a, we just, we all know it's, we screwed up. What do we do to, to make sure this doesn't happen? It goes to trust. If they don't trust the team leader, then you can't be a team. <laughs> and yeah. if you don't trust the people that work for you, you can't be a team. It's all about trust. I, I agree with you a hundred percent. I mean, to me, one of the things about being a leader and one of the things I've had to work so hard at the last two years uh, and when I've, and, and I've seen the improvements in our firm because of it is having uncomfortable conversations about issues before they become crises or before they become a blow up. And what I found is if there's something that bothers you enough where you're venting to someone else, a friend, a coworker, a spouse, you know, someone else, you know, that means you should be talking to that other person about it. Uh, if it's bothers you enough, to, you know, to vent about it, you should talk to that person about it. Now, like you said, we there are, there are ways to do it. Uh, you know, we can be positive. We can be, you know, you know. Sometimes you do have to say, like, if you do that again, you're gone. Uh, but you know, that shouldn't be the first conversation. Uh, and there shouldn't be such a fear that you'll get fired for making an honest mistake that people try to cover up their mistakes because that creates a bad disincentive. But we need, we do need to be able to have those uncomfortable conversations. Hey, this isn't the way I wanted it. Hey, that wasn't that wasn't right. What you did there, and uh, you know, and but I think part of that is before we can do that, we have to clearly, like you said, clearly say these are our expectations. You know, and when people don't meet those expectations, you have to clearly say, "Hey, I'm sorry to bring this up, but actually, I'm not sorry because we need to meet these expectations, and, and this is how you didn't meet them in these ways. And you know, what's our plan for for fixing this in the future?" And so I think I probably mentioned this in the podcast before, but I was lucky enough to go meet with a college football coach, a guy named Jimbo Fisher, the head coach for AM. And I asked him, like, how do you hold your players to such high standards? And he's, uh, I got to watch practice. He's not always as gentle as we are. Uh, <laughs> there's some F-bombs flying and, you know, other stuff like that sometimes in the heat of the moment uh, when thing, people don't do meet his expectations. But his players really seem to love him, and they also meet the expectations. I mean, the, the team has proved, improved incredibly since he's taken over, and he says, well, there's a couple of things you have to do. Just one, you have to be incredibly clear that these are my expectations. They have, they should have no question in their mind what's expected of them. And then you have to be consistent about it. You have to always hold them. It can't be some days you have to meet these expectations, some days you don't. Some days I feel about talking to you about them, some days I'm not gonna call you out because I'm, I'm not in the mood for it. No, you've gotta be consistent. Every time that someone doesn't meet the expectations, you have to have a talk with them about it. You have to let them know they didn't do it. Doesn't mean you have to be mean to them or yell at them or threaten them, but you have to let them know that didn't meet expectations. But the third thing, and I think this is the one that's critical or buy-in and you can't fake it. They have to believe that you are holding them these expectations because you care about them. You want to make them better and you want to make your team better. Mm -hmm. And it's as much for their benefit as it is for yours. Uh, and you have to get that kind of buy-in. So when we're trying to do something, because I want you to succeed. I want you to be great. I want you to get promoted. I want you to make more money. Mm -hmm. I want you to have a great career. 
Uh, and you know, that's when they, when people believe that you're coaching them up rather than putting them down, you know, you can hold people to much higher standards. I, I definitely agree. I think it's attitude is a big part of being a leader. And I think too, like I said, there's different things that work with different people and that they respond to. I mean, there are people on your team and you just have to be a leader and recognize that this is the case that need praise. I mean, everybody needs yeah. praise, but there's people that need more praise than they do criticism. And yes. so you have to make the time to also praise them when something really great happens or um, and, you know, we try at our firm, we try to do it publicly as much as we can, because, you know, it's, it's nice to say thank you to someone. But when you say thank you in front of a lot of people, it means so much to people to have praise in front of people. I mean, I don't know how to explain it, but we do try to make an effort to point out when someone's doing something really, really great, not only to them, but to everybody, because it shows that we appreciate good work and lifts all the boats, right? And I think it's especially important to praise when you've had to have an uncomfortable conversation with somebody and then they put in the work to improve, then you really need to publicly praise them and, and make them feel like, okay, someone's noticing this is making a difference. Because if not, you can just feel like hopeless. Like, you know, these people have a standard. I'm never going to meet it. I'm just going to get fired sooner or later. I might as well give up or I might as well give up or start looking for another job or, or wait to get fired and get those super unemployment benefits to pay more than working nowadays. I think, I think too, um, really listening when people tell you that your expectations are too high. Sometimes people say your expectations are too high and your expectations are not too high, right? It's something that is achievable, but maybe they need more tools to, to do it. Maybe they need more training. Maybe they need more information, right? But sometimes your expectations are too high, right? There's just not enough hours in the day to actually get X, whatever you're asking to get done. And you need to know when to call in reinforcements. And so really listening to your team and listening to what they need and then giving them what they need when it's appropriate is really important. I mean, there's a lot of people in this industry that get burnt out. Um, and burnout is a huge problem among not just lawyers, but support staff too, because it's a very high stress industry, a very high stress environment. And so recognizing that and really listen when, when people are needing, needing help. I mean, that was one of the things that we really listened to at our firm when our paralegals need help coordinating client appointments. <laughs> we need help. I mean, we, it's a lot, we have a lot going on and we really listened. And so now we have a whole nother person on everybody's team that's in charge of getting medical records and helping coordinate calls with doctors and stuff like that whenever we need it. Um, and, you know, it's made a difference. Yeah, and I and I have found that the 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 unrealistic expectations tends to be common in our profession. I mean, people there are, I've met a lot of lawyers that just well, I told this person to do all these things, and like, well, did they know how to do them? You mean did they did what you tell them require them to be psychic? And then uh, you know, did they have enough time? And you know, those are all big important issues. I still remember 1997 when I was still an associate at a big firm in New York City, I had a partner give me one assignment that was due by, I got the assignment at about 4.45 or 5, and it was due by 10 a.m. the next morning. And I had a mid-level uh, associate who had given me an assignment earlier that day, that she also wanted the next day. Uh, and I worked uh, to about 4.30 a.m. and finished the first assignment. Then I went home, I took a nap, I got back to the office about 9.30, started work on the second assignment. The mid-level associate came in a little before noon, very upset with me that I had not finished the second assignment. She wanted to know why I explained. And she says, well, did you go home? 
did you sleep? Did you shower? Then you could have finished my damn assignment. And uh, most lawyers there weren't like that, but it uh, it left a lasting impression. And let's just say I, I was not I was not going out of my way to get any more assignments from her, uh, nor was anybody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't think she made partner either. Uh, although you know, at some big law firms, that might be a bonus, uh, part of the culture. <laughs> but uh, just uh, for whatever that's worth, people do remember when you are unrealistic when you hold them to standards that can't be met. You know, another time I had someone like tell me that, you know, this complaint wasn't good enough and made me redo it, but never told me what, what wasn't. And like, I thought I did good enough. Like, what, what am I missing? What am I supposed to do? It was so frustrating. Like spend 10 minutes with me and tell me what is it you want? Cause I looked at other samples and thought I did a pretty good job, but lo and behold, it wasn't what he wanted, but it's like, he never told me what he wanted. Yeah. I mean, ex- setting your expectations and making them reasonable is, is a big part of being a leader, but also, um, you know, uh, taking responsibility as the leader to not create emergencies for your team, if, if at all possible. I mean, sometimes emergencies happen and we just all have to band together and we have to figure it out. If you know you have a deadline on X day and you have time to get it done a few days earlier, do it, right? That that shows your team that you care about their stress level and right. getting it done when you can and, and saying, okay, well, we don't have to file it for a few days or whatever, so just hold on to it, but it's done. You know, that way they're not stressing out at the last minute, staying late, having to, you know, hold your hand because you waited till the last minute to do it. Sometimes that happens, but that way your team knows that when it does happen, it's not because you were the cause of it. It's because there's other things going on and then they trust that you would have gotten it done if you had time to do it before. So it, it sets it up so that people aren't constantly feeling ambushed by you or upset because they feel like you're making their job harder. And we always remember their job is to make our job easier, but we shouldn't go out of our way to make their job harder either. Yeah. So, well, also when, when, when we're not stressed out all the time, when we're not stressing them out all the time, it just, it's easier for us all to help each other. When everyone's stressed, that's when we start snapping. That's when we start making mistakes. Um, and over communicating. So we, um, I think we probably talked about it on the podcast before, but over the last year in 2020, we actually implemented some new um, communicate, I don't know if you call them communication requirements or meeting requirements with our teams. And so every morning we have a what we call a five-minute check-in. It really does last about five minutes. Every once in a while, it'll last maybe seven, right? Because someone has an extra question that they need an answer to. But really, it's about five minutes. And everybody talks about what they're doing that day. And if there's any correcting that you need to do, if there's different priorities or something else, it's a quick conversation. So for example, I'll say, you know what, today I have a deposition in the afternoon. So I'm going to be focused on that pretty much all morning and the afternoon. And one of my assistants will say, well, don't forget, we also have X, Y, and Z due tomorrow. Um, you know, do you want to try to, to get that done today or should we do it tomorrow? You know, and then that way they don't feel stressed out because they know that I know about it. And right. then two, they know how to organize their day because they know when I'm going to get to it. Right. And if the answer is, I need to focus on this deposition today, I really am going to have to do it tomorrow. They're not worried about it all day. Then they can say, she's getting to it tomorrow. I'll do something else today, right? But having those little check-ins and it's five minutes at the beginning of every day, we do it through Zoom right now. Hopefully at some point we'll do it in person. Although my team is all scattered around Texas. So (laughs) Um, we'll probably always do it through Zoom on my team, but um, very quick. And then once a week, we have a big planning meeting. That meeting takes a little bit longer, but honestly, it only takes about 15, 20 minutes. Um, And that's just a planning for the week. Who's doing what? Who's covering what? What are our deadlines this week? 
what are our deadlines coming up next week so that we can be prepared for them? Just a touch base kind of meeting so that we all have a plan for the week. And people are hearing from me about what I think they should be focusing on, uh, which is important because sometimes they don't know what should be a priority. And sometimes I have to tell them, you know what, this thing that you're working on is important, but X, Y, and Z is 10 times more important. So just work on that. Or I say, that thing you're working on is really important. Let me handle X, Y, and Z. That way we can get it all done and nobody's stressed out. So being willing to do um, pieces of the paralegal's job is a big part of it. I send stuff out. I file stuff sometimes. I try not to do it all the time because I want them to do that. But if it's in the effort of lifting my team and supporting them when they need support, I do those kind of things every once in a while, you know, just to make it easier for everybody else on the team. Equa, we're in trial, are getting ready for trial, and we have trial deadlines, and we have everyone fully engaged. I typed up a witness lister yeah. exhibit list myself instead of just barking up and handing it to someone because, you know, yes, it would be in an ideal world it would be better to delegate this, but everyone to whom I could delegate it was fully engaged, and we would miss a deadline unless I did it, and so I did it myself. Right. Don't whine about it. Now I need to get out of the habit of doing it myself when I don't have to. Because I, you know, I, I very easily fall into, well, I already know how to do this. It's busy work. I'll get it done instead of doing the big, instead of saying, let me go rehearse my opening statement on video and then go back and do the painful process of watching myself so I can get better. Uh, instead, I'll go and type stuff because I know how to do that. And it's easy yeah. to go work on a motion or something like that that someone else can do instead of doing what I need to do. But I don't whine about it. Like, you know, we have stuff due tomorrow and we've all been working hard and you know, trials are like that, then I don't mind doing my part. Are you interested in attending Cowan's Big Rig Boot Camp? This year, we'll be hosting the seminar in San Antonio, Texas on May 20th, 2021. In-person seating is available, but will be limited per state guidelines in order to provide a safe event. And if you'd like to attend virtually, we'll be offering another professionally produced seminar available via Zoom. For more information, visit www.bigrigbootcamp.com to sign up for our mailing list and find out details as soon as they're available. So, Michael, in terms of lifting up this the support team, I guess, so that's your paralegal, your legal assistant, I mean, at every firm it's a little bit different, your secretary, um, a medical records person, you know, what are some of the things that you think that we do that helps show our staff that we do care about their success and that we want them to rise up with us, that we want them to succeed. I mean, what are, what are some of the investments that you make in the staff? Okay. Let me, let me start with little things. So when I arrive at the office, I walk around and I say, good morning to everybody Mm -hmm. uh, by name. Uh, That doesn't cost me any money. It takes about 10 minutes just to walk from desk to desk and say good morning to people but it means I care enough about them to go and say good morning to them. Uh, now, if I have a huge deadline or something, I might, you know, I have to run right into depot. I'm running late. I might not do that, but I, I really, really do try at some point in the morning to go by and say hi to everybody. A little bitty thing, but it makes a difference. Then on the big end, I mean, you know, depending on how the firm does, I mean, if the firm has a really good year, we take everybody on a trip, you know, like a two, two, you know, two three night trip somewhere cool. Uh, Last time we had a really good year, we let them just choose unsupervised. This year, from now on, we're going to give them like three choices. Uh, <laughs> when we have a good year, we'll rent like we're going to do this year. Once we've, we're far enough past COVID, I think we're doing in August. We're renting this giant house where all 30-something of us can stay 
and uh, no work, no training, just we're going to, you know, cook, hang out by the pool, hang out by the river, drink alcohol if people want to drink alcohol. There's plenty of bedrooms available so people don't have to drink and drive if they want to stay overnight. Uh, just to say thank you. We care about you. You know, I think that's little things, asking people how they're doing, letting them know that they did a good job. I don't know. I don't know what what else do we do. I'm just trying to think of things. Yeah, I think one of the other things that I we've gotten really great feedback about that we implemented about a year ago is um, we call them lunch and learns. Um, right now, there's no lunch, but that right. you buy you buy anybody that wants to come lunch um, on Fridays, and we have a 30 minute piece of the lunch that's just training on some kind of topic uh, that people tell us they want training on. So we actually get feedback from the staff. We do these anonymous surveys um, and say, tell us what you want to learn about. And you can be totally honest. I mean, and people will give us really great topics. I mean, good ideas and stuff that they want more information about. And they range from really basic things to really complex legal issues that they want to know about and learn about. And treating all the staff as equals in those discussions, I think, um, shows that we care about them and nobody's above anybody, right? I mean, we have team leaders, but it doesn't mean that anybody's better than anybody or anybody's above anybody. And so if someone wants to learn about a complex legal topic and they're the receptionist, they get to learn about that topic just like the, the lawyers do, right? And we we offer that and open that up to anybody at the firm that wants to learn. But part of it too is that you get lunch out of it. So we have a lunch, we have a little training. And then at the end, it's always on Fridays, you know, people stick around, chit chat, Nobody's rushing people to get back to back to work immediately, right? I mean, we want to form the camaraderie, and that's a big part of it too. It's not just about the training; it's about being with each other and um, you know appreciating each other as people. Um, Michael, you've also invested, and I think people appreciate it and they notice it in um, outside training for people at the firm as well. So it's not just coming from us. It comes from CLEs. It comes from other things. Um, and not just for the lawyers. I mean, uh, you know, we're going to take all our paralegals to the Academy of Trucking, Truck Action Attorneys Symposium. And we have that every September. We take all the lawyers and all the paralegals. It's required. But it also lets them know, like, we care enough about you to spend money on a hotel, uh, on the seminar fee. And uh, frankly, I think we get a good return on investment from doing it because our people learn not just learn at the seminar, but then they make contacts. They, they become friends with other lawyers and paralegals at other law firms. And then they have those relationships they can call on when they have an issue, when something new comes up. Uh, and I think that's really valuable. Uh, you know, I brought in Sari de Lamont to work and do some exercises with our paralegals to try to do some, some bonding and group work. Uh, you know, that was a little extreme, but it was very, I think it was very well received and it seems to have really helped with, you know, some of the interpersonal issues that, we were having, especially with everyone working remotely, we really had to work on, on trying to do more team building. You know, we do like a, every Friday for meetings and it was a happy hour and now it's kind of, you know, we've been remote for over a year. So the people kind of give it up with the happy hour part by now, but uh, I still think that's appreciated. And also I let people know what's going on. Uh, we've done surveys before to ask people things, but I think one important thing with the survey that we've done, that we've gotten right is when people have asked things or made suggestions, we've answered them. Even though the answer is sometimes no, I will say why. Mm -hmm. And I think that honesty, you know, is appreciated by most people. Now, some people aren't realistic and well, not, we're not for everybody and that's okay. But we just want to make it really clear that we care about you. We want you to succeed. We're going to give you the tools. We're going to tell you what the expectations are. 
if you buy in, we're going to have your back. We're not going to yell at you or fire you if you make an honest mistake and tell us about it as soon as you discover it so we can try to fix it. But also, if you don't want to be part of that, if that's not what you want to do, we still like you, you know, but this just isn't the place for you because that's part of part of that culture of accountability. And, and you know, you see it when you start you're getting it right when when people start holding each other accountable without you having to do it. Having your teams back is a really, really critical part of being a leader. Um, Michael, you I worked with you, I think, eight or nine years now. And um, I was one of the people that you trained about personal injury when I first started with you or litigation. I didn't think I wanted to be a litigator. And uh, and you trained me and helped me and helped me grow and really invested in me. But you've always, always had my back, no matter what happened, no matter what the situation was. You don't badmouth me to other people if I'm doing something crazy. You don't. You would never. And you yeah. don't. Um, it, but if something goes wrong, it's always us against someone else. It's never. I mean, and if you have something, a problem with something I did, you'll tell me. But to the world, it's us against the world. Yes. And it's the same with all people on your staff. I don't badmouth my paralegals to other. There's nothing badmouth. I love them. But if there was, I wouldn't badmouth them to other people. I have. There's attorneys that blame their paralegal for everything. Oh, my paralegal didn't do whatever. Oh, they didn't do this. They didn't do that. And, you know, that's after a while is more, it feels like nobody has my back. I mean, you know, so it's, it's us against everybody else. Now it doesn't mean that, you know, if there's something going on, we don't talk about it or something went wrong. It's not like we ignore it, but when it's against the outside world, it's, we always have each other's back no matter what. And uh, that's a really critical part of being a good leader. And sometimes it's having your back with other people at the firm. I mean, uh, I mean, you know, there's a situation. I don't want to go into all the details, but you know, someone on our management team learned about a situation on a case, uh, nothing drastic, but where the, she didn't think the rules had been followed or procedures had been followed, and wanted us to take action and wanted us to be drastic. And I'm like, hey, we've been monitoring this weekly. We've been talking to these people weekly. So because someone griped about something, we're all of a sudden going to change the rules of the game and change the expectations. And you told someone you're making progress, you're doing well, you're improving. You're not perfect, but you're improving to suddenly that what you've been doing the last three months isn't good enough. You need to work harder. You know, that's not having their back. And, you know, I'm like, no, Uh, you know, yes, this person was not perfect. Uh, None of us are. But given that this is something that we had been talking about, we had been addressing, we had a plan just because someone else complains about it, we're not going to change the rules and change the consequences and suddenly get after them. No, we can't do it because we, we have to have their back. We have to let them know these are expectations. Hey, you're 80% of the way there. You're on your way. You know, I'm hoping you're going to make it. I, I'm, I'm wanting this to be a good thing. And then to go say, oh, but what you did three months ago wasn't good enough. When we've already talked about what you did three months ago because someone else didn't like it. No, that's not having your back. We have, you have to know that we care about you. We want you to work out here. And, you know, since we've been putting all this effort into organizational health, you know, our turnover has gone way down. Uh, There's no way we would have survived COVID without losing people uh, to keep cases moving uh, without just a lot of time and energy put on, you know, how do we make this a better place to work? Uh, And how do we make our our family here at at this firm a healthier family? In fact, I put more work into my work relationships than I do in my personal ones sometimes. And that's kind of messed up. Uh, but it's, uh, uh, it is what it is. Uh, and, but I have seen it uh, go into great things. And honestly, part of it is 
I've had unexpected good results. I've learned to have uncomfortable conversations earlier in my personal life and, and take care of little things before they blow up into big things. Uh, not perfect at it, but uh, communicating expectations better, setting boundaries better, all that stuff has not just made my work life better, but it's made my personal life better because I need to be a leader in my home. It doesn't mean my wife does what I tell her to do or that I tried, I expect her to do what I, you know, that I'm the boss or anything like that because that's not the relationship we have, but it, but setting boundaries and expectations. And, and like I said, having those uncomfortable conversations when, you know, things aren't going the way you think they should be going, uh, takes care of problems before they become big problems. Enjoying the episode? Do you wish you had Trial Lawyer Nation on the go? Well, wish no more. The Trial Lawyer Nation app is available now exclusively on iOS devices. Access our entire podcast library, create a favorites list, search for old and new episodes, and much more. It truly is Trial Lawyer Nation at your fingertips. Download this free app now and enjoy the top legal podcast for plaintiff attorneys wherever you go. Well, not just that, having the uncomfortable conversation earlier, it's just uncomfortable at that point. But if you wait until you've stewed about it and you're upset and you're just just angry, there's no way to have that conversation without it blowing up into something worse, right? I mean, when you address it earlier, yeah, it's uncomfortable, but it's not the conversation you want to have a month from now where everything is just terrible at this point and now it's now it's bad. Just because you have to have an uncomfortable conversation doesn't mean you aren't fuming inside about something. So I've, um, there's been things that have happened, um, at the firm or, uh, you know, in my personal life where something I'm very upset about something, having the conversation in anger is never to me, the right move. And sometimes you need a trusted person to talk it out with before you talk to the person that you need to talk to, to make sure that the tone and the way that you're saying it is uh, coming from a good place and that you've kind of gotten out the initial, wow, I'm really pissed off. out of your system so that you can actually have a rational, reasonable, supportive, positive conversation about what went wrong. And I've even had to tell people that they wanted to talk about something. I said, I'm sorry, but if we talk right now, I'm going to say things I regret. I, I need, I need a little time. We will talk about this, but I need some time. And sometimes every now and then I slip and I yell at my office and it's not very often. Usually I can get to the car and just, you know, you shout the F word at the top of my lungs <laughs> a few times, you know, oh, if it's not too slammed with deadlines, go home, come back the next day in a better place and then address it. Because, yeah, we do need to address things. We need to be clear. We need to have uncomfortable conversations. But, you know, when you're in, when you're angry is not the right time. You know, and I want to get where I'm in the Zen place where I don't get really angry about things. And I'm a lot, you know, I'm pretty good. Yeah, you know, really but there are times. Um, <laughs> And especially when it's cumulative, you know, you know, when, you know, you, you have an argument with your spouse and you didn't get enough sleep and maybe it's like fourth quarter 2020 and none of your cases are settling and your expenses are good and you're borrowing money to make payroll. And then somebody does something. It's really easy to snap. And, and sometimes you're snapping more about all the other stuff that's gone on in your life and less about what they're doing right then and there. So it's just, it does take time to like you, like you said, let leave the situation for a while. If someone tries to talk to you about it, you say, it's not the right time. We'll talk about it later, but we will talk about it. I promise you, but not now. Uh, and then, you know, venting, getting some advice from someone you trust and then 
going and addressing it. But if but if it is enough, or you need to vent to someone you trust, and you probably ought to talk to the other person about it. Yeah, and I I would say it does not make you a bad leader just because you get mad sometimes. It does not make you a good leader if you get mad and immediately blow up at people. But it's okay to be mad about bad stuff that happens. It doesn't make you a bad leader. It's natural and it's human and we have a lot at stake. And so it's, you know, but being able to call someone trusted and say, oh my God, I am furious. Let me just vent to you and tell you what happened. And then kind of getting, for me, getting it out of my system is important. And I'm kind of one of these people that too, uh, I don't hold grudges. I mean, just I get over things pretty quickly. So me venting and getting it off my chest really helps me get over it so that I can have a conversation with someone that's very just, here's what happened. Here's what we need to do to make this not happen ever again, because it's, it's bad what happened, but, but we can fix it. We're going to fix it now. Let's not ever have to fix it again, you know, and then we move on. Not holding grudges is an important part of leadership. Once you've talked to someone about it, and they're making an effort to do it. You don't bring things up that happened a year ago, six months ago, yeah. two weeks ago. If you've already addressed it, you've addressed it. And we don't need to keep rehashing old things because then people just feel like they can never win. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Same for relationships. I mean, mm-hmm. they got to yeah. let it go or, or, or you got to go. But just rehashing what happened 15 years ago does not do anyone any good. Right. Right. So I think, yeah, I mean, the, being a good leader, you can get mad sometimes, but it's, uh, a con- it's a controlled anger and that any any outward rage is not directed at the person that you're angry with at that at that moment because that's not healthy and it's not productive. Yep. And there's lawyers. I mean, I've heard horror stories about lawyers that yell and scream and throw things. And, you know, I, I don't want to be that person. I don't need that kind of drama in my life. No. But um, and, and I don't want to live a life like that. I mean, that's just not I don't want I don't want to be angry. I don't want to be that person that everybody's afraid of. I want to enjoy the company of the people that are on my team and enjoy being able to work together and that we're building something together and that we all have a sense of accomplishment. And that's something important to me. And it makes me enjoy the job more. I just feel like I would be miserable if I was yelling and screaming and throwing things all the time. And I wouldn't want to work a place that did that either. Yeah. And, you know, we, um, we try to make sure that the people that work at, the firm are not those people. And if they are those people, then they're not the right fit for our firm. No. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's, it, we just, we can't have that kind of negativity and we don't tolerate it from other people either. All right. Well, great. Well, Mallory, this has been a great discussion. It's kind of following up on what we talk about at the firm. Uh, Cause mm-hmm. you and I actually were having some of these discussions uh, just yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, one of our, one of our projects uh, is for the third or fourth quarter of 2021 is to work on improving our leadership skills at our own firm and actually bringing in someone to work with our attorneys. Not that they're bad leaders, but, you know, to go to different, to go from good to great, to try to get great leaders of the firm, uh, mm-hmm. not just at the top of the management team, but to every attorney-led team. Uh, and I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think every time we put effort into something, it always seems to, uh, to bear fruit. Yeah, I'm excited about it too. I can't wait. Maybe we can uh, record another podcast after we do that and kind of a little follow-up about what we learned from from that. One last thing. This is airing on the 15th of May. Uh, Our Big Greg Bootcamp is on the 20th, both in person in San Antonio, for those of you uh, who feel comfortable doing that. If not, uh, virtually, it's available. It's free. 
register. It's we're doing. I'm working really hard on it. It's going to be a good program. If you do trucking cases, or if you want to do trucking cases, I will teach you what you need to know to do them very well. So please join us for the Big Rig Boot Camp. You all have a good day, and join us next time on Trial Lawyer Nation. Thank you for joining us on Trial Lawyer Nation. I hope you enjoyed our show. If you'd like to receive updates, insider information, and more from Trial Lawyer Nation, sign up for our mailing list at triallawyernation.com. You can also visit our episodes page on the website for show notes and direct links to any resources in this or any past episode. To help more attorneys find our podcast, please like, share, and subscribe to our podcast on any of our social media outlets. If you'd like access to exclusive, plaintiff lawyer-only content and live monthly discussions with me, send a request to join the Trial Lawyer Nation Insider Circle Facebook group. Thanks again for tuning in. I look forward to having you with us next time on Trial Lawyer Nation. Each year, the law firm of Cowan Rodriguez Peacock pays millions of dollars in co-counsel fees to attorneys nationwide on trucking and commercial vehicle cases. If you have an injury case involving death or catastrophic injuries and would like to partner with our firm, please contact us. You can reach Delisi Friday by calling 210-941-1301 or send an email to delisi at cowanlaw.com. That's D-E-L-I-S-I at cowanlaw.com. She will coordinate a time for Michael Cowan to speak with you in person or by phone to discuss the case in detail and see where we can add value in a partnership. This podcast has been hosted by Michael Cowan and is not intended to, nor does it create the attorney-client privilege between our host, guest, and any listener for any reason. Content from the podcast is not to be interpreted as legal advice. All thoughts and opinions expressed herein are only those from which they came.